Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. Would you stand as we sing? There is none greater than our God. He deserves all the praise, the glory, the honor in this place today for what he's doing in our lives today. He is our King. Let's worship him. as we pour out our praise on him. Would you sing it with me?
go ahead and have a seat. So great to see you here this morning. It helps if I keep my mic in front of my face. <laughs> so great to see you all here today. Thank you for that worship this morning as we kicked off with the only king forever. When we know Jesus, we can have that firm foundation of trusting him. Well, look inside of your bulletin, please, if you would. There's a gray card there. I'm going to invite you all to fill that card out during the service here. You could do it now or anytime. Just don't do it during the message. That's an important part there that you need to be writing some notes, right? But yeah, take your time to do that. On that card, uh, there's some, some information on the front there that just helps us be able to reach out and connect with you, tell you about Peckway Church, um, let you know about events that we have coming up, things such as that. On the back, uh, there's some places there. If you make a decision today, we would love the opportunity to walk along you with that decision, give you any kind of resources that you might need. And there's also a place there for prayer requests as well. Online, you can do that very same thing with our digital connection card. You're going to find a connect link there in the chat window. Click on that, follow the prompts, and you can fill out that card digitally as well. And if you are a first-time guest, you can simply take out your phone and text the word hello to 717-872-5679. You see that on the screen there. You'll get a, a quick text back. Follow those prompts once again there, and that actually helps us to be able to connect one, with one another uh, very quickly via text. And so just another way to connect with you, say thank you for being here at Peckway Church today, today and answer any questions uh, or anything that you might want to talk about. So we would love to do that. Um, we're here to connect with you. We love connecting people to God and one another. So uh, we would love that opportunity. Well, enough about that. Let's move on to what we're doing here about the message today. We have been in this sermon series called Fully Devoted. Now, how many of you made a New Year's resolution? Go ahead and be brave. Raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah, I didn't either. So it looks like you're in the same boat with me. But we're going to look at some statistics. Look at the screen here. We're going to see people's New Year's resolutions by age for 2023. And the one I want you to look at most here in that 26 to 41 and 42 to 57 range, improving mental health. Now, you might not have made a decision to do that, right? But all of us want to improve our mental health. I don't know about you, but COVID kind of really took that toll on us, right? The whole the, that time of that. So I think everybody's probably in that same boat. You see, we got 49% for those in the 26 to 41 and 39% for us of in my age group. I'm not going to tell you my age. And then losing weight. Of course, we all want to lose weight at the beginning of the year, right? But it's so hard to keep those New Year's resolutions, right? Especially if we're trying to do those in our own strength. Well, today we're going to talk about how we can be changed, but through the process that God has for us. God has a totally different way of doing things. And so have your message notes available a little bit later so that we can see how can we change and it can be permanent change and we can have supernatural help and not just our own help. There's a scripture I want to share with you before we continue singing. We're going to look at the screen here, but this comes from Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And it says, then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Wouldn't it be nice to exchange the burden of mental health, losing weight, maybe finances, whatever it is. God says, take my yoke, take my burden upon you, exchange those anxieties, exchange those trying and trying and maybe not getting anywhere. Let Jesus' change process be what we do today. I'm going to invite you to stand once again as we sing a song that's going to help us remember that same message that God 
is in control of all things. He's for us, not against us. And it only takes one word for change to happen. Let's trust him today. Just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes were open to see, my heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that he can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Just one word, you hear what's broken inside me. Just one word, and you revive every Just one touch, I feel the power of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes were open to see, my heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that I got. place today. Would you say that to him? Sing it to him in faith this morning. Let's sing. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let's sing it. I will believe for greater things there's no power like the power of jesus let faith arise let all agree there's no power like the power of jesus i will believe for greater things there's no power like the power of jesus let faith arise let all
for that today, that he is going to break through those things that would stand in the way this morning because he is not only the lamb, but he is the lion who is roaring at those things. We are more than conquerors through him. We have victory in Jesus today. Stop the lamb, let's sing. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Sing it again. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Stop the Lord Almighty. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? Yeah. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power. Every knee will bow before him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of 
Well, God is so good, right? And his greatness goes beyond what we could ever imagine or think. So would you just pour out your life as an offering to him? Pour out your song to him today, thanking him for the way that he loves us today.
We're so thankful for breath in our lungs today that we can return thanks to you, Jesus. God, you are worthy of our praise. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, um, it is your love letter to us. And God, that maybe as we are at this 29th day, I believe, of January and our maybe New Year's resolutions if we made one, God, or ones that we didn't declare, but that were in our hearts. Lord, help us to see, uh, Father, yes, mental health and our financial status and our, our, our diets and those kind of things, but more importantly, our spiritual health, God. I pray that that's one of the things that we want to change God and I think that is because we're here in this place today or we're listening online and that's important father to us um, to our families so God today as we come to this moment to look into your word father as we learn how we can be changed God when we look into the mirror of your word how you want to wash us father and clean us father that we can have this clean slate, this new beginning, Father. And uh, Lord, I pray that as our hearts have been stirred, as we've sang these songs today, Lord, may our ears be open to hear your word. And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, worship team. And sincerely, thank you for helping me and helping us remember, especially at this time of the year, that even as we long for change, look for change, desire change, that for many of us, we have been trying to maybe set the same New Year's resolution for year, and year after year we have failed, and so sometimes we just feel like, what's the use? We feel like we don't have the power, if you will, to beat it. And I just want to say thank you to the worship team for helping us focus on the fact that what seems impossible to us is truly still possible with God. And that's really where I want to focus today. And as I thought about that in this theme this week, I really decided to do something that I do from time to time, and I just went online and went to Amazon, and pulled up what they identify as their top 25 selling nonfiction books. I'm going, what are people buying? What, what have been the top sellers in 2022? And interesting enough, maybe no surprise to you, it, it, it was interesting to me at least, though, that most of the books, many of the books, let me put it that way, dealt with how to change our lives. In fact, let me just share a few of them with you. Number three was this. The bestseller, the best-selling book, number three, was Good Inside, a guide to becoming the parent you want to be. That, that's a good goal, right? To be the best parent we could be. Number, number five on the list was this, Master Your Emotions, a practical guide to overcoming negativity and better manage your feelings. Here's number 11, Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. 
And then number 15 on the list was an all-time classic. Many of you are going to recognize it. I was actually surprised to see it on the list because it was published back in 1989. But the book was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Powerful Lessons in Personal Change. Just out of curiosity, how many of you read that book, have seen the book? Yeah, many of us. Those of us maybe a little bit older. It's a classic. If you've not read it, I won't encourage you to pick it up. But here's the reason I'm convinced every one of those books are on the list. And there were others. There was one that was actually number four, and I don't want you to go out and look at it, but the title was completely unacceptable for me to even say from the pulpit. But it was about change. But here's what I want to say to you. Here's the reason they're all bestsellers. The reason the majority of the list is about personal improvement, and that is because we want to change. All of us, in one area of our life or another, want to see change. We want to affect change. And so what do we do? I, I know what I do. You probably do the same thing. We read books. We listen to podcasts. We watch videos, all in the hope of finding some tools, finding some help to bring about change in our life. Yet here's the secret that many of us deal with. Here's the reality that many of us get discouraged with, that try as we may, more often than not, that real change, that substantial change, that significant change just doesn't seem to come to be. And here's why I want to believe it is, and you saw it in the titles of that book, because I think what happens when we go about trying to change our lives is we focus on changing external actions and behaviors rather than internal attitudes and assumptions about ourselves and about life. And folks, here's the reality. That's how we go at it, but here's the reality. If we want to experience real and lasting change, that change has to begin on the inside and work its way out. It needs to flow from the inside out. And I would suggest to you, I believe with all my heart, that that change requires God's help. And even as I say that, my mind goes to the very affirmation in AA. Anyone that's been through AA or been around AA knows the, the very beginning of that process is to acknowledge a higher power, to understand that the, the challenge, the difficulty is beyond yourself. You need the assistance of someone greater than yourself, a being greater than yourself to be able to overcome it. And I share that because the reality is when we talk about change from the inside out and it requires God's help, I see many, many people get tripped up very, very quickly, and here's why. Because in our culture, outside the church and even inside the church, there are a lot of myths floating around about how God works to bring change in our lives. A lot of myths out there that just we, we begin to believe, we begin to operate on, we accept, and the reality is they lead us astray in this change process, and we end up frustrated, we end up feeling like failures. And so what I want to do to kind of get us started today as we talk about God's change process is I want to identify and then debunk three myths when it comes to the change process that God works in your life and mine. And here's the first one, the myth that God changes us instantly. The myth that God changes us instantly, and I'm starting with that, not necessarily because I believe that's the most frequent or the most common, but because in light of last week, one of the things I know from the theological tradition I grew up in, and when it comes to the doctrine, we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about the holy life. I share with you in that message that one of the things that I find that happens many times is people reject that doctrine or they resist that doctrine because of what I call extreme claims. And one of the extreme claims I grew up and heard frequently and I struggled with as, as a pre-Christian and then a new Christian is this idea that if I just pray a prayer, if I just have a deep enough experience at an altar, which was my tradition, that God would instantly change me. That God would suddenly, you know, he would just answer that prayer in a miraculous way and suddenly God would transform me with no effort on my part 
into the next Billy Graham, or maybe if I was a woman to the next Mother Teresa. That was, that was the logic. That just floated around intentionally and unintentionally in the community because we so believe in that doctrine. We so believe in the power of God to change lives, we tended to push it too far. We began to make extreme claims. And so I want to begin here talking about the myth that we believe that if we just pray a prayer, if we have a deep enough, some kind of an experience, some kind of encounter with God, they'll instantly, miraculously, with no participation on our part, change our lives. And the reality is, let me say that and then quickly say this, folks. Now, don't hear me saying this. When I say that idea that God instantly changes us uh, is a myth, I'm not saying God never instantly transforms a life. I am not saying, I've seen it, I've experienced it. I have seen God instantly break addictions and habits and set people loose from those things in their life. What I'm saying, the myth is, is that we think that's the normal, ordinary, typical way God goes about changing your life and mind. Does that make sense? That's the myth, that we think that all we've got to do is pray a prayer and passively wait, and God instantly changes us. But let me share with you what I understand personally, biblically, what I've observed as a pastor, the way God typically transforms a person's life. God brings transformation in your life and mine. And, and instead of instant liberation, it's more like the landing of an army on an island. And what I mean by that is, if you've watched it, and I'm a big World War II fan, but you know, one of the things I watched, and I lost an uncle in World War II in the, on the islands in the Pacific, but what happens when an island is, is trying to be taken by an army is that a beachhead is established first, right? And I want to say to you in the Christian life, that beachhead is Jesus coming to our life and giving us the Holy Spirit, His presence, and His power. But then rather than instant liberation, what God does, just like that army, is they begin to systematically remove the enemy, systematically remove those habits, those, those struggles, those addictions, those attitudes, as the army, as the Holy Spirit increasingly moves inland. One of the things we need to understand about the Spirit-filled life isn't that we get any more of the Holy Spirit. What happens in the Spirit-filled life in that illustration is He gets more of us. Ultimately, He gets all of us. He occupies our life. He occupies the island. So the first myth we need to disabuse ourselves when we think about God's process of changing us is thinking that we could just pray a prayer, have an experience, have an encounter with God that instantly will change us. It may happen, but that is not the typical way God brings about change in your life and mine. Let me give you the second big myth, and that's God changes us by association. And I see this especially where I've done ministry in the Bible Belt. I've done ministry in Kentucky, and I think that's the buckle of the Bible Belt. And what I see the myth in this, what I really mean by this, is we think if we just go to church, or if we just attend religious church activities, and we hang out with Christian people, that somehow we will just by association become a believer. And somehow by association, our lives will just be transformed. But I want to suggest to you, just like the other folks, that's neither biblical nor logical. Because while it has, and please hear me, just as the, the other, there's a truth and a myth. That's what makes myths powerful. There is an element of truth. The element of truth is our association with Christians, our attendance at church services and religious services are incredibly important to our growth, incredibly important to our change. But just the idea by being there and participating, I will then you know, vicariously become a follower of Jesus is a myth. 
And it doesn't stand to reason. Let me just kind of illustrate it like that. If we buy that logic that by just going to church, I automatically become a Christian, then by that same logic it would stand to reason if I just hang out at a truck stop, I can become a trucker. Or for that point, if I hang out at a chicken coop, I become a rooster. The reality is we, we don't become a follower of Jesus. Life change doesn't happen by mere association. It's an important part of it. I'm not saying, Hebrew writer was clear, do not forsake the assembling together. It's an important part of what we do. But in and of itself, by itself, it's not going to bring life change. And let me give you the third and final big myth, and that is God changes us through our trying. In other words, if you want to write it a different way, God changes us through our willpower. God changes us through our own efforts, through our own intentions, and, and, and just will. And let me just kind of, you know, contrast this. If that first myth, the myth that God changes instantly, is kind of the, the myth of the pacifist, you know, God's going to do it all, then this myth, the, the idea that God changes through our trying, is the myth of the activist. Because what we really believe isn't that God's going to change us all. It, we, what we really believe is if it's going to be, if the change is going to happen, it's up to me. In other words, it's all about our willpower. It's all about our self-discipline. And again, folks, there is an important part to our self-discipline. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. There is an important part that you and I control our appetites. We take, we take captive our thoughts, Paul said. There's a big part for you to, and I to play in acting and training ourselves. But that's not the same thing say, it's all up to me. And again, the Bible never teaches that, and it's illogical. And let me just give you an illustration that would maybe help you understand it. Imagine for a second, if you will, that I have up here today with me a bench and 400 pounds on the rack. Can you, can you imagine that? That's a lot of weight, folks. And then imagine that I just begin systematically, I'll start with Pastor Chris, and Pastor Chris and I have talked about this this week, and say, Chris, I want you to come up and I want you to bench 400 pounds. Now, Chris and I talked about it. We've talked about what we did back in our youth. And I know for Chris and I know for myself, 400 pounds is not a possibility. Certainly not today. And as I look around, I could be wrong. And if, if I am, please tell me. But I don't know anyone, perhaps, who's sitting here today who could do 400 pounds, no matter how hard you try. No matter if all the rest of us sit here and, and, you know, and shout to you as you try, as you get crushed, you know, we, we believe in you. We believe in you. you know, think, believe in yourself. It doesn't matter how hard we try, folks, because there's a limit to how far effort can take us. There, there's a limit to where, how far our willpower can carry us. And so the idea that you and I could experience significant, meaningful, long-term life change simply through our own efforts and our own trying and our own discipline is a myth. So let's net it out, because hopefully you're asking me and thinking along with me and say, okay, Jerry, I'll go with you. So you're, you're telling me God doesn't change us instantly as a rule, and God doesn't change us through association. And God doesn't change us through our trying really, really hard. So then, I hope you're asking, so how does he change us? And the answer to that question, the Apostle Paul gives us, because he tells us very clearly, I'm going to read you the verse in a second, but Paul tells us God has a part in the process, and you and I have a part in the process. And we need to cooperate together. Let, let me give you the verse where, where I get that from. Paul writes this, he says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. Now, I want you to underline two phrases with me, because we're going to work on these the rest of our time together. I want you to first underline the phrase at the very beginning, continue to work out 
your salvation. That's our part. And then the second phrase I want you to underline is, for is God who works in you. And so here's what we need to understand. What Paul is telling us, God's part is to work change into our lives, and it's our part to work that change out in our lives. And I want to, I want to take time to unpack both those parts because I want to make sure we understand what's involved in both parts. So let's begin with God's part. God's part can best be described in one word, and that word is instruction. God's part in the change process in your life and mine is instruction, because if you and I are going to experience significant life change, meaningful life change, the kind of life change that we say, you know, on my own, I, I haven't been able to pull off, I haven't been able to experience, then folks, I'm telling you, I've learned from experience, I've more importantly learned from God's Word that we, for that to happen, must take in God's instruction and then take to heart God's instruction. We have to first receive it, and then we need to apply it. And let me try to kind of explain that dynamic to you with the story from my own life. Shortly after I graduated from seminary, I, I, I accepted my first pastoral assignment in a rural town in Kentucky. And one of the realities, and I won't bore you with all the details, one of the realities uh, of that area was we had many, many people going into ministry who were at that age and stage in life that going to seminary, going off to one of our colleges, our four-year liberal arts colleges, just didn't make sense for them. They were married. They were second-career individuals. And so church was wondering, the denomination was wondering, how do we train these folks? And I showed up on the scene. And I had been around our denominational headquarters, so they asked me if I would begin to, to teach a Bible college extension program there in Kentucky. And with a lot of fear, a lot of trepidation, I agreed. And it was assigned to me that the, the, the college that actually was kind of, I was doing the extension with, gave me my first teaching assignment, and, and it was to teach systematic theology. And systematic theology with this college was a year-long course. And I gathered, I don't know, there was a dozen, dozen half students for that first class, and I could tell you after a few classes, very clearly I could remember seeing some of these students who had an incredible capacity to think theologically and then articulate deep theological truths. I remember thinking, even as I interacted with them in the class, they go, you know, if, the, if these students commit themselves, the, these, these, young, these young and middle-aged men and women really commit themselves to the learning process, the education process, God can, and I believe God will use them in tremendous ways to impact Kentucky to his glory. And the good news I could tell you is some of them did. And they dug in and they took their studies seriously, they were faithful to class, and they, they just grew exponentially in their ability to articulate and understand and share deep theological truths. But others didn't. And it was almost an inverse relationship because I watched them make very little progress in their ability to articulate and explain and understand deep theological truths. Now, here's the reason I share that with you folks. I was equally committed to instructing both groups. Equally committed and yet one group excelled and one group made very little progress. And the same is true in our lives. You see, God is eager to instruct us, eager to train us. But the reality is, folks, if we do not cooperate with the process, if we do not give ourselves and commit ourselves to God's instruction, then we will not make progress. We will not change. We will not grow, which is why Paul wrote this. He said, do not put out the Spirit's fire. 
Or as it's translated in the New Century Version, it says, Paul writes, do not hold back the work of the Holy Spirit. Because we need to understand, God wants us to understand, folks, that we can in fact resist and even reject the instruction that God wants to give us in our lives. And so we need to cooperate it. And the reality is there are many, many ways as we talk about instruction that God instructs us. But what I want to do is talk to you about three of the primary ways, the, the most foundational ways that I observed in my life and other people's life and in God's Word that He uses to teach us and instruct us. And the first one you could probably guess, and that is God's Word, the Bible. And I want you to notice what Paul wrote about the Bible. It's a familiar, it's a familiar text. Most of us could quote it in, in a familiar translation, but I want to read it to you from the Living Bible because I just find it so helpful how they paraphrase it. Here's what they write. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us to do what is right. It is God's way of making us well-prepared at every point. Now, here's the question I want to ask in light of that, and there's so much there that I wish we could unpack this morning. But here's a question I want to ask in light of what Paul says there. How many of you, and I want you to raise your hand, how many of you would say, at least once in my life, and I say that a bit tongue-in-the-cheek, at least once in my life, God has used the Bible to make a change in my life? Can I see your hands? Probably all of us, if you've been reading the Bible all. And you know why, folks? Because what happens when we read God's Word, just as Paul says, we encounter principles. We encounter eternal truths through His Spirit, through the, His living Word, and what we find ourselves saying through the, the conviction and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, go, you know what, that's something that needs to be dressed in my life. There's something I need to start doing, or there's something wrong that I need to make right, but the Spirit does that in our lives. And folks, the more we read God's Word, the more that happens. The more we study God's Word and memorize God's Word, that tends to happen. I don't know if it's a true story or not. I kind of like to think it is, but I don't think it really is. But I, I love the story about an archaeologist who was traveling on a, a Pacific island, and it was an island that, had, that was inhabited by a group of people who had been cannibals. And as the archaeologist was going through one of the villages, he saw one of the former cannibals sitting at a pot reading the Bible. And as the story goes, the archaeologist said to him, you might as well throw that book away. It's not going to do anything for your life. To which the former cannibal said, if it wasn't for this book, you'd be in that pot. Here's the point, folks. The reality is, what, what that man understood, that the archaeologist didn't, folks, was the reality is the more we get God's Word in our life, the more we read it, the more we study it, the more we memorize it, the more it is going to change our lives. Because that's one of the tools that God uses to change your life and mind. One of the tools He uses to instruct us. Let me give you the second tool God uses, and that's His Holy Spirit. And if you are here last week, we talked about that. And you may remember that I shared with you that Jesus in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming, the third person of the Trinity. In John chapter 17, he prayed that God would make us holy, that he, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, God fulfilled that promise and that prayer. He answered that prayer by giving the Holy Spirit, who was given, if you remember, we talked about, to empower us, to live cleansed and fully devoted lives to God. And that's why Paul wrote this. One of the reasons he wrote it is God who works in you to will and to do his good purposes. 
In other words, what Paul is saying there, and it's so powerful, is that God uses His Spirit to not only give us the desire to change, but the ability to change. He gives us the longing to change, the, the, the will to change, and the actual ability to change. Now, with that said, the, the, the ideal scenario of how God uses those two tools is God tells us what needs to be changed through His Word, and He gives us the power to change it through His Holy Spirit. But if you're like me, and I know you are because we're human, from time to time we don't fully obey what we hear in the Word or the promptings of the Spirit. And when that happens, folks, what God does is He reaches in His toolbox many times and He pulls out a third tool. And the third tool God uses to instruct us is our circumstances. Our circumstances. And here's the reason God uses circumstances in your life and mine. And I think as soon as I say that, you're going to identify with this. Here's, here's the reality. The truth is most of us, no matter how much we pride ourselves in being quick learners and fast studies, the reality is for many of us, we don't change when we see the light but when we feel the heat. Let me give you one example. Go back to what Scott was talking about, dieting. Most of us, myself included, say, you know, my, I would be healthier if I dropped X number of pounds. And yet many of us, like me, spend our lives in what we would call a perpetual diet, never quite doing it. But let us go to the doctor. And after a, a physical, let the doctor say to us, if you don't lose X number of pounds, you're probably going to deal with the onset of diabetes where you're start, starting to show some signs of heart disease. Well, suddenly with that heat, things begin to change, don't they? Suddenly we find a, a greater motivation than ever before to bring the change around because here's the reality, folks. We, we may push back, we may resist, we may be slow in applying God's, the light of God's Word and the prompting of His Spirit. But folks, when, when the heat sets in, more often than not, we kick it in at least into low gear, if not high gear, and begin to make changes, which helps to explain to me why Paul wrote this as kind of a reassurance and, and an affirmation. He says, we know that in all things, not just good things, he says, in all things, difficult things, trying things, unpleasant things, God works for the good of those who love him. So in light of that, let me ask you this question today. I mean, this is about us living out God's word, being doers of the word. Here, here's my question for you. What are you struggling with today? Right here, right now, what are you struggling with? Is it something relational? Is it something professional? Is it something spiritual, financial? I don't know what it is. Here's the reason I'm asking the question. Whatever it is, could it be that God is trying to work through that difficulty, that struggle, to move you in a new direction? Because as I said, folks, when we resist making the changes that God knows we need to make, that God has shown us through His Word we need to make, that He has convicted us through His Spirit we need to make, and we refuse for whatever reason to not make them, God will, at times, use circumstances to get us moving in the right direction. And you want a good biblical example of that? Forty years of wandering in the wilderness. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness. They said, nah, we don't want to do that, God. And so he said, okay, let's take another lap around the wilderness to see if you change your mind. The reality is, folks, God uses circumstances not because he's punishing us, but because God is trying to guide us and direct us and even instruct us to make the changes in our life 
that he knows we will benefit from and be more like Jesus if we make. So what are you struggling with today? And all I want to encourage you to do is ask yourself, could God be using that to try to nudge me or maybe push me in a different direction? Now that's God's part of the change process. God instructs us. God uses His Word. God uses His Spirit. He uses our circumstances to guide us and instruct us. But as I said earlier, and Paul made clear, that's only part of the process. The other part of the process is you and I have a part to play. And our part to play, just as we summarize God's part in this change process with one word, and we said it was instruction, then the one word I give you to summarize our part in the process is training. Training. That's the word that best describes our part in this process. And yet I want to say to you once again, and I've said this more than once this morning, because there's so many ways that this change process can fall apart in our lives. And here's another one. Because if we're not careful when it comes to this part of training, the wheels could come off. And let me explain what I mean by that with this story, this, this example. Back in the day, and I'll date myself for some of you who are basketball fans, but back in the day, in my opinion, when Michael Jordan was playing the game, nobody was more gifted and more talented on the court than Michael Jordan. I really do believe he was one of the greatest of all time. If you disagree, that's fine. It doesn't ruin the illustration. But here's what I want you to understand. If you remember, those of you who are old enough to remember, a phrase developed around Michael and his, his prowess and his skills on the, on the basketball court, and, and the phrase was, everyone wants to be like Mike, right? And I really saw that lived out. Again, I, it was in Kentucky in, in the latter part of his career, and I remember going to high school basketball games and being amazed how it seemed like every young man on that court was trying to be like Mike. I mean, I watched him, and they tried to, you know, emulate how he shot. They tried to shoot like Mike, and they tried to dribble like Mike, and they tried to jump like Mike, and they even tried to dunk like Mike. And one young man who was part of my church always amused me. I won't give you his name. But he would even hang his tongue out of his mouth like Mike as he charged the basket. And I say, Jerry, why do they do that? I'll tell you why, and, 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 it, and it makes perfect sense. They, they wanted to play like Mike. And what they mistakenly thought, though, is that they'd just act like Mike, that somehow they would play like Mike. But what they didn't understand, folks, that playing like Mike wasn't about acting like Mike. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't trying to do certain things on the court. It wasn't trying real hard when they are on the court. No, trying to play like Mike really wasn't about trying. It was about training. You see, the reason Michael Jordan was who he was on the court was because he lived a life a preparation and practice almost beyond anyone's comprehension. And so in those moments when there was an open net, or not even what looked like an open net, and Michael got the ball, what happened? His training kicked in. And in that moment, Michael Jordan was able to do on the court and with the ball what most people just only dreamed they could ever do on the court or with the ball. The folks... With that in mind, I want you to just hold that in mind. I want to share three verses with you from the Scriptures. The first one was written, spoken by Jesus. The other two are by Paul. And take a listen to this as we think about training rather than trying. Jesus said this, Everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And, and, and that same vein and the same thought, Paul said this to the Corinthians, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it 
to get a crown that will last forever. And finally, to his apprentice, to his protege, to his student, Timothy, Paul wrote this, train yourself to be godly. Here's the point. Here's the reason I shared those verses, folks. And I hope by now you already had it. I mean, that is the key to change. Significant, lasting, significant change in your life comes about when you and I commit ourselves to the habits and the disciplines that will help us to accomplish through training what we can never accomplish through trying or just willing or hoping. And therefore, as we go through the series, as we talk about living a fully devoted life, and we talk about living a holy life, the key to doing that is arranging our lives around the habits, the relationships, the disciplines, the the experiences that Jesus did so that over time through training and God's instruction, we can become like Jesus. That's how the change takes place. Because the reality is, I think all of us, if if I just had a show of hands, all of us would agree that Jesus did some pretty amazing things on the court of life when he was here, right? I mean, pretty incredible things. Uh, and, And here's the problem, though, folks. If all we say to ourselves is, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's what I wish I can do. That's what I'm going to try to do. And you and I never develop the habits or the disciplines that Jesus engaged in and Jesus developed and engaged in. Folks, it's never going to happen. Because the reality is the thing, barring his deity, the fact that he was the son of God, even with that, folks, the thing that set Jesus apart above everything else was his personal disciplines, habits, and practices. For example, Jesus made it a regular practice to have times of prayer, to be in God's Word. He made it a regular practice to develop and nurture speech, deep spiritual friendships. He made it a regular practice to do the will of the Father, to seek it, to find it, and to follow it. And He made it a regular practice to quickly and immediately resist temptation and sin. And you know and I know that list could go on and on and on, but here, The list is sufficient, I believe, to make my point, folks. And this is that Jesus practiced a lifestyle that enabled him to live the life that he lived and to do the things that he did. But even as I say that in our culture today, I know some of us are tempted to say, going, Jerry, you know, I get that. But I'm so busy, I have so many things going on in my life that I don't have time for a training regiment like that for my spiritual life. I just don't have space for it. I just don't have time for it. And folks, I'll be completely honest with you. I absolutely understand the realities of a world and where you're coming from, but I've got to be honest with you. I do not have an easy-to-swallow response to that. Because the reality is, folks, that, that, that way of thinking is rooted in the very first myth that somehow we can experience deep, significant, meaningful, lasting change in life without doing anything to make it happen. And that's just not true. It's just not a reality. But having said that, let me quickly say this, folks. The price that we pay for authentic life change is worth everything. It's worth the price whatever we pay. Because if you and I are willing in this process of life change that God's established to submit ourselves to his instruction, and then in the words of the Paul, let me, just, let me give you another translation from 1 Timothy 4.7. If in the, then in the world, not only we submit to his instruction, but in the words of Paul, we're willing to reject those myths fit only for the godless and the gullible, 
and we train ourselves for righteousness, folks, the reality is the Holy Spirit can and will produce significant, real, and lasting change in our lives. So here's the good news I want to offer you this morning. It is the good news of the gospel. We can change. We do not have to stay the same. Because God eagerly wants to partner with us to see that change happen in your life and mine. But here's the deal. If that partnership is going to happen, we first must decide to accept and apply God's instruction. And then we must decide that we are going to stop trying and start training. Because that's God's process for life change. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With our heads bowed, can I just ask you, and this is for the privacy of your own heart, it's for you and you alone with God. But the question I want to ask you this morning to reflect on in this time of prayer is simply what needs to be changed in your life? What is it in light of God's word? What is it in light of the prompting of the Holy Spirit? What is it that needs to change? Whatever it is, however massive or big or challenging or impossible it seems to you, you need to understand it can change if you'll cooperate with God's change process. For God has promised us through the Apostle Paul that he will work change into our lives if we will partner with him and work that change out in our lives. And so I want to invite us to pray, each and every one of us. Would we just say something like this to God in our own hearts? God, I'm going to cooperate with your change process in my life because I truly do want to change. I truly do want to become more like Jesus. So please, through your instruction and through my trying, change the things in my life that I know will never change through my good intentions and my hard trying. Thank you for the tools you use to instruct me. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the fact that as I read it and study it and memorize it, your spirit applies it to my life. It shows me where I'm, I've gotten off. It shows me what's right in my life and it shows me what's wrong in my life. And it makes me well prepared at every point. And then would you say, God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the fact that Jesus, in coming into my life, you give me the Holy Spirit and you establish that beachhead. And as I give him greater and greater freedom and control and access to my life, he is able to rout out the enemy. He is able to remove the enemy forces from my life. And then when you say, God, thank you, even though at times it's incredibly painful, but thank you for using the circumstances in my life to direct me. And so in faith, I ask you to help me to respond to them the way Jesus would. Because Father, just like Jesus, I want to be totally committed to training and not just trying. I want, as Paul said, to be transformed in ever-increasing measure into the likeness of my Lord and Savior. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in our life. And thank you for the promise that no matter what challenge, what obstacle, what difficulty we're facing, we truly can be more than overcomers in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, Jerry, for sharing that message with us this morning. I'm going to invite you to take that gray connection card out once again uh, online. There's going to be that connect link there in the chat window. But, um, you know, we make decisions every day, and we have a decision before us. We could listen to this message, and we could walk out and say, well, that was a good message or, or some other comment. Um, but that's our decision, that we just heard it and we didn't decide to do anything with it. Then the other decision is you would see, I may need to make a change. You can, uh, you can do that today. You can, you can take that card. On the back, there's a place for decisions, a really good place to start if you are um, needing uh, a group to help keep you accountable or to learn God's word is to get into a small group. There's a place on the back of that box that you, you could do that. You know what would be great is that we would have so many people who were interested in small groups that Pastor Chris was scrambling to find leaders. And, uh, and I know he's had those moments, but what a great way, because how many of us eat one time a week? Anybody eat one, one time a week? Because that's what we do on Sunday, right? We come on Sunday and then we, we don't get into God's word. We don't uh, have a group of people that we're bouncing ideas off of and saying, I wonder what God's word says about that, or that we're taking the time each morning to get into a study. There's a really great way you could do that digitally through version. If you don't know about version, write it down. It's just version, one word. It's a great online uh, app that you can have Bible studies, that if you're searching for answers about things in your life, God's word is readily available there. So those are three options that we can do today, decisions that we can make. So I want to encourage you to do one of those things. Take that card, do that online as well, because we would love to be able to walk with you, help you provide those kind of resources that we can help you in your journey with Jesus. One last thing, another great opportunity of worship is our giving. And you can do that today. You can do that digitally, online through our website. You can do it here in person. There's, um, there's envelopes at the back of the room. And uh, you could grab one of those if you feel led to give. We appreciate your gifts uh, that help us to provide ministry to others. Uh, thank you so much for your attention. And uh, drop that gray card on that box on the way out. Click send online. And I hope to see you right back here again next week at the same time, 9 a.m. Have a great week.